0: Welcome to the show. This is As Lutheran As It Gets. I am Pastor Don O'Reilly, joined by my co-pilot, or <laughs> what, the office manager of my dreams, the... What What? What are you? Mission Control? Miss, yeah, I like <laughs> that. Pastor Christopher Gillespie, who does production yep. on the podcast. Uh, music performed, composed, and recorded by me, uh, Sonic Death Monkey. <laughs> There's a deep reference for you. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, on uh, this week's show, uh, we're going to dive into another spiritual father, another Lutheran spiritual father of ours, who is uh, the Reverend Dr. Herman Saze. and we're going to be looking at an excerpt from an essay he wrote in a volume entitled, uh, We Confess the Sacraments. The edition I have is called the We Confess Anthology Mm -hmm. produced by CPH. Mine's blue. I think yours is red.
1: Yeah, mine's red. Um twenty nine ninety nine, it says on the back. That's right.
0: How much did I pay for mine? I have no price on mine Hmm. because you can't put a price on this kind of theology. Dum bum. (laughs) And um Oh that was a Mark Butel reference. That was a deep, deep pun. But um no, so it's We Confess Jesus Christ, then the next section is We Confess the Sacraments, and then the third section is We Confess the Church. And like I said in the last podcast, uh, one of my favorite essays ever is called Word and Sacrament, Preaching in the Lord's Supper. I think I called it Preaching in the Sacraments. I couldn't remember specifically, but it's called Preaching in the Lord's Supper. And it's from Letters to Lutheran Pastors, number 42. And it was written in July of 1956. Um, If you're playing the home game and you have this We Confess anthology, I'm looking at page 11 of the We Confess the Sacraments section for the beginning of the essay, and we're going to be in section four, uh, page 21, in the We Confess the Sacrament section, uh, which begins with What is our task in view of the state of affairs? Because just a quick and dirty summary what Saze is doing is he's critiquing St. Augustine's or Augustine's um, definition of the sacrament or sacraments. And I don't want to get into that because that's a little bit too deep and heavy for a podcast. Uh, that's not going to be three to five hours, right? That's <laughs> it's a lot. The thing about Sase, if you're not familiar with Hermann saze or or you've only read very small amounts of him, is that he is German, first of all, <laughs> and he is a, a hyper intellect to be sure. And he is writing. Well, in 1956, he's writing after the German unification of the churches which happened in 48 with Bad Bull, essentially, uh, or at least it was ratified. I mean, it was building for decades, um, especially with the uh, Socialist Party taking over under Adolf Hitler, and there was a big move to consolidate all of the churches in Germany under the Nazi flag. But Saze was one of the pastors, the theologians who opposed this German unification of the churches into what was eventually the evangelical, Luther, or evangelical, evangelical church in Germany. Evangelische Kirche Deutschland, and or Deutsche Evangelische Kirche is that right? EKD, that's what it is. EKD, Evangelische Kirche Deutschland, right? Yeah, and so that's also another aspect of why he writes so densely because he's not just writing theology for Lutherans. He can't really relax in that sense because he's really <laughs> writing theology, Reformation Lutheran theology. He's an apologist for Reformation Lutheran theology to Lutherans, Protestants, Reformed, even Roman Catholics. Right. Who are a part of this evangelical German church. And so when he writes about the sacraments, for example, he has to explain specifically what Lutherans during the Reformation understood by a sacrament versus what the Roman Catholic church understood by a sacrament versus what Augustine defined as a sacrament, which became the kind of accepted Western church's understanding of a sacrament. So he has to critique all of this stuff just to get to what he wants to say about the sacrament as being like the true biblical understanding of the sacrament or what the confessions teach Mm. about that Lutheran confessions. So he can get super dense for sure, especially like in, um, this is my body, which is you know a benchmark of, of sacramental theology writing um, but the nice thing about this essay on preaching and the sacraments is it's it's kind of that whole
1: of this is my body condensed down into one essay yeah um, so what was his what was his name with this letter like, who was he ta- he was talking to Lutheran pastors that mm-hmm. were in this unionized church is that right In the Union Church, and this is also 56, so
0: also he's been writing to the United States for a long time. You know, he's um, had a a letter-writing pen-pal relationship with both uh, the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod and the Missouri Synod. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he's also got a long-standing relationship with the Australian Lutheran Church where he he moves because he essentially has to leave Germany um, because he can't support himself and he's a part of he's a member of the Lutheran free churches which were the churches in Germany after the war that rejected this unification and so he couldn't get hired though because he never became a brown shirt either and what I mean by that is he never became a card-carrying member of the Nazi party while a teacher at um, Tumagen Tumagen Erlangen Erlangen he was at Erlangen because he was with he was there with Ehlert oh okay Uh, in Althaus Um, I think it was uh, could you Google that for me it's for those who are listening this isn't at night we're recording during the morning, and I'm still waking I could, up. I could
1: put up, pull out, what, Lowell Green's book on the Erlangen theologians? Just Google, it's, it. <laughs> it's
0: just, just Google it. Just Google it. I thought he, top taught top Erlangen. he taught at Erlingen because he taught at Erlangen because they wanted him fired, um, but the dean um, basically defended him against the Nazis uh, who wanted him fired because he wouldn't, sign, he wouldn't sign. He wouldn't become a card-carrying member of the Nazi party. Um, and there's a famous story where after the war, yeah. when Sazie was walking down the hallway at the university, all of the students and professors turned their backs toward him in the hallway um, because they saw him as being a traitor. Which is mm. for for those who said that they only signed, you know, under pressure because they didn't want to be arrested or put in a concentration camp. You know, after the war ended, there were still many people who were very bitter towards Sazie for never like becoming a card carrying member of the Nazi Party and supporting the government. And so as a consequence, he had to go to Australia for a job. And he stayed there and he basically, he did, he founded the seminary there. Um, He unified the Lutheran Church in Australia, which is sadly now breaking apart um, and becoming divided all over again over women's ordination, um, I think homosexual marriage and and ordination and gay rights. A lot of the stuff that, that was going on in the Lutheran Church in the United States in the late 80s all the way through the 90s into the early 2000s. Right.
1: Um, so so your, your answer is at age 25 he was ordained in Berlin at St. Matthews. Yep. Served in Brandenburg then went spent a year as an exchange student in the U.S. In That's
0: correct. And 25, January.
1: 26. Yeah, Hartford Theological. Yep. Got his master's degree there and then came back to teach at Erlangen. Mm-hmm. Um, there and that goes. was the ecumenical yeah. movement, of course, which then got bound up into the socialist stuff. Didn't yeah. sign varman in 34 and immigrated in 49 to Adelaide. So. so, yeah. So, he's writing this essay
0: from Australia.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That was the question. So, <laughs> Yeah, that was the question. So, essentially, he's writing to Lutherans. He's trying to unify in Australia. He's trying to unite these two churches, these two Lutheran bodies in Australia and writing to the United States, and writing back to Germany, to friends in Germany who are members of the Lutheran Free Church, to encourage them and hopefully strengthen them in their resolve to not you know, give in to this ecumenical movement, to compromise their theology, especially the sacramental theology, for the sake of the unity of the church. Yeah. And you can see that to this day, right? I mean, especially in the United States nowadays, there's a constant push to homogenize and become just another, you know, just, melt into the stew and and get you know um as far as be you know christianity is concerned i think culturally we're becoming more and more tribal but as far as the church goes though yeah there's the constant push to be like the church down the road yeah regardless of what their denomination is or or what they're doing or who they are anything um and so when we get to section four then I'll skip over uh, his critique of Augustine, even though it's gold, um, because it's so dense, and just dive right into something that he wants to address here, which is, again, to begin to clarify now in section four, to begin to clarify, well, if we're not following Augustine and we're not going to kind of dissolve our our sacramental theology as Lutherans into this very generic understanding of sacraments um, with no real unique or specific definition that differentiates us not only from other christians but also christians from other religions Mm -hmm. who you know we would use very loosely using the term other religions have their sacraments their holy things absolutely yeah and that's the problem with augustine in a nutshell is that augustine essentially defined a sacrament kind of in an earthly way i guess is the way to say it and a sacrament is like it was like a earthly means to try to provide access to god yeah like a sacrament is a sacrament is a sacrament and Luther being the great critic critic of Augustine, and and again, as John Calvin was the great disciple of Augustine, Luther was the great critic of Augustine. He's the great corrective to Augustine. Mm. And that's really the distinction between Calvin and Luther, is that Luther recognized the flaws in Augustine and said, this isn't biblical, right. so I'm going to go with the Bible. Calvin was a genuine disciple of Augustine, and and his whole theology constantly to the end of his life was... To to define and to apologize and kind of translate Augustine for his own hearers and listeners, right? Uh, hearers and readers, and so for Reformation Lutheran theology, then it's super important for us, obviously, that we nail the sacraments and get it right, hmm. um, especially because of modern Protestant thoughts about the sacraments, right? Yeah, um, that they're not real; they're symbolic; they're signs; they're just things. Um, And likewise in the roman catholic church it's really the priest that makes the sacrament the sacrament
1: Mm.
0: and and so without the priest you really can't have the sac you can't have the sacraments Um, but in the protestant church without the congregation you can't have the sacraments (laughs) Um, and really that's the problem with with augustine's definition of a sacrament is in the end the way it was interpreted and the way through church history it's come down to us is it's really all about us (laughs) and what we're doing uh, with these things and how we're treating them as holy and how we kind of imbue them with meaning, um, and that's really all that matters.
1: Yeah. Was it Augustine then that would that kind of uh, would lead people to flatten the sacraments to to like try to say that baptism and the supper and absolution yeah they're all the same they're all they're all the same kind yeah. of thing they follow under yes. this big broad category and kind right. of lose the particularity of them.
0: Right. Well, I'll give you a good example. Um, if you're if you're an augustinian kind of theologian i'll give you a good example cuz what i'm about to say will irritate you <laughs> immensely that you don't need the lord's supper it's not necessary for salvation right but you do need baptism because right. baptism is necessary for salvation now how dare i say that well one because luther said it i didn't say it um and i will find the reference uh <laughs> but <laughs> cuz i know someone's going to ask but more importantly biblically right Je- jesus says this is what saves you. Baptism now saves you. right? And, and as we pray in our liturgy, the post-communion collect, the sacrament, the Lord's Supper, is for the strengthening of faith toward God and for the increase of fervent love toward one another.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Baptism is necessary for salvation. The Lord's Supper is not. Now, if you're an Augustinian theologian, hmm. you kind of collapse those two things into one bucket and go, well, no, they're both the same. They're both equally salvific. And I was like, right. mm, no, I'm sorry, biblically, they're just not.
1: Um, and then the more more radical Protestants today, you know, mm-hmm. they'll commune somebody who's not baptized. Right, exactly. And that's actually another good example. That's a great example.
0: Yeah. If all sacraments are created equal, then it doesn't ultimately matter if you're baptized because Lord's Supper. Or you don't need baptism Lord's Supper as long as you get your sins forgiven. Mm-hmm. Because that's what you're, you know, and I've had this, conver- this conversation with plenty of people as a pastor, which is why do we have to confess our sins when we have our sins forgiven at mm-hmm. the Lord's Supper? Or why do we have to have the Lord's Supper every week when we're baptized? Right. Like, I know I'm forgiven, Pastor. I'm baptized. So why do we have to go through this all the time? Hmm. You you that's the very thinking that Augustine basically propagated in the Western Church, which is a sacrament is a sacrament is a sacrament. It just comes to us in different ways or oh, as we call them means. Mm-hmm. So the me- one means is water, another is bread and wine, another is through a preacher. The problem is then take away the preacher. <laughs> You know, what, what happens then? Or take away the water, what happens then? Or take away the bread and wine, what happens then? You know, what's the importance of God's Word for right. the sacrament? Right. Or like Luther says in the beginning of the large catechism on the sacrament of the altar, you know, even a scoundrel, even an atheist can, can administer the, the sacrament. I added the atheist part, obviously. Um, <laughs> and I added, it, I added it for emphasis because it's not the atheist that makes the sacrament the sacrament. What is it? It's the Word and the elements. It's mm-hmm. the word in, with, and under the bread and wine that makes the sacrament the sacrament, you know, the word's given and shed for you. Which Luther gets from Augustine, but he goes off in a different direction then. Because mm. Augustine said it's the word in the element that makes it a sacrament. But the problem is that Augustine didn't ever say, you know, I can imbue a coin with sacramental power by speaking, you know, I can speak to the coin and then the coin itself becomes sacramental.
1: Right.
0: And if you don't understand how this plays out historically, uh, read about the sale of relics in the medieval mm. church. You know that I have a I have a sliver of the wood of the cross of Christ, and if I touch it, I get a hundred years taken off of my you know my punishment in purgatory. Right. Or I have an angel wing, or I have a, a piece of the cloth that was carried by you know that that uh, wiped Jesus's face face you know on the day Via de la Rosa that kind of stuff. Yeah, like if if you're not careful with how you define a sacrament, a holy thing. um well, and another example is that Paul calls in the in the Corinthians. Paul refers to the Lord's Supper as a mystery. He right. calls it
1: mysterion, yeah. um,
0: which is not then a sacrament.
1: The Greek word for sacramentum, right?
0: Why? Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. So Augustine co- coins the term sacramentum, mm-hmm. which is a terrible word actually when you consider it in relation to the word mysteria, <laughs> mysterion, or mystery. Right, um, and that's why the, we the can term think sa- Rome for that, right? Right. So you have sacra, holy and then meant instrument, so a holy instrument. And that's the problem with, with definitions. It's not just semantics, because what, what is a holy thing? What is a holy object? Well, it's anything imbued with God's power. Mm. <clears throat> well, how does it get God's power imbued in it? Well, through the Word and the Spirit. Well, does that mean a tree can be holy? If a pastor like puts hands on a tree and speaks the Word of God to a tree, does that make the tree holy? You know, Is that a sacramental tree? Right. Um what about if your pastor comes to your house and blesses your house and lays hands on your house hmm. and speaks the word of God, you know, reads a psalm or proverb about your house and the house of the Lord and binding the law of the Lord on your doorposts.
1: Does that make your house sacramental like well, where do we draw the line? You see this. You see this with the even modern day Calvinists, where they, um, where they uphold like creation and the goodness of creation and and the witness of the mountains and the seas yeah. and all this as as being you know a testimony of God's goodness towards all mankind, right? right? And it's like, well, okay, that's true, except you know, as um, one professor said. Um, you know, in a debate with a Calvinist, you know that same mountain that's so beautiful to you. If I put you on top of it naked in the winter, it's gonna right. Kill you'll die. Yeah, right, right. So um, it doesn't carry because it doesn't carry God's word apart from right. um, the testimony of Scripture that He made that made it. Yeah, right. But it doesn't. It doesn't have blessing. Right. Well, and that brings us back around then
0: to, you know, I'm on top of that mountain and as long as I'm carrying God's word, mm-hmm. that place is holy. That's a modern Protestant turn. Right. I'm here worshiping God, therefore this place is holy. Until I fall off and then, you know. right? It's hard, it's hard to forgive yourself while you're falling <laughs> off, you know, <laughs> from 10,000 feet. I've seen Cliffhanger. That's right, exactly. That was on <laughs> the other night. I, <laughs> and I guess I get super excited. My wife Annie just shakes her head at me because <laughs> she didn't grow up that way. And, uh, uh, my the the depth of my 80s action movie references is is <laughs> for her it's like the it's like the um the uh, the um Marianas Trench <laughs> right deep. exactly it's just miles deep um but i was actually it's funny you you mentioned cliffhanger because i was going to say that like protestant sacramental theology is a lot like 80s action movies <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's a, it's a parody of reality. Right. <laughs> it's
1: just one and, but
0: absurd scene after another. It is, but That's it's so absurd possible. that you enjoy it for what it is. Right. <laughs> it's like you commune dogs. I got to see this. I got to watch. I have to. I'm completely abhorred by Like I'm, I'm, like, I'm offended. It's disgusting. But I got to watch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like watching Sylvester Stallone free climb with just his hands up the side of a mountain. Correct. I was thinking <laughs> just, of the Nick Cage movie, right? Face Off. It's like, this is not oh, going to be a pleasant movie. That's right. 100%. 100%. <laughs> Face it's not going to be good. I'm going to watch the whole thing. I'm going to watch it to the end. <laughs> I can't stop myself. And the fact is, when I get done, I'm going to hate myself. I'm going to hate myself, oh, but no. i got to see no, this that through. would
1: be Last Action Hero. <laughs> oh, that's such a bad movie. I Good soundtrack,
0: that. though. No, I, the soundtrack's great. The soundtrack I is love great. the soundtrack. Yeah. yeah. Time capsule. Um, there you go. Mm-hmm. But uh, section four, here we go. Okay. What is our task in view of this state of affairs? Referring to the sacraments and scholastic Lutheran theology and and how scholastic Lutherans um, rely too heavily on their theology books and not enough on scripture when it came to defining the sacrament. Um, As Lutheran theologians, we should follow the example of the Augsburg Confession in our theological thinking, as in our teaching and preaching, and never, never, never start from one common doctrine of the means of grace or the sacraments. Hmm. But deal with each of the means of grace by itself in its own particularity. Again, good night, everybody. Don't yeah. forget to tip your waiters. Like that, again, that's one of those things I have underlined, highlighted. I have, I have meteorological symbols drawn around the paragraph. <laughs> I have words circled. Let me read that again. In our theological thinking, as in our teaching, now remember, he says we should follow the example of the Augsburg Confession in this, mm. so he's not, he's not claiming this as a theologian reading the Bible, he's saying, I get this from the Augsburg Confession, which right. gets
1: it from Scripture. Which has separate articles for baptism exactly yeah
0: never 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 start from one common doctrine one common teaching about the means of grace or the sacraments but deal with each of the means of grace each of the sacraments by itself in its own particularity
1: Hmm. or as uh dr nagel said proprium uh, the proprium exactly yeah preach and and, in again in reference to dr nagel He
0: was the one who suggested that we not refer to the the sacraments as the means of grace, because again,
1: that's actually a Calvinist term Mm -hmm. that Lutherans adopted later, but rather the means of the Spirit. You just stole my thunder, I was going to tell you that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, means of (laughs) grace as a term doesn't even occur in the Confessions. Correct. Yeah, but means of the Spirit does. Right. Mm -hmm. And again,
0: know your history, folks. Know your history. Again, it's no small thing that Calvinists came up with the term means of grace and Lutherans appropriated it. And, and our confusion about this and not why Calvinists constantly think then that we can get along with each other around these issues right. we can't these are different doctrines that we're
1: teaching well grace is a much more mushy word than spirit Holy especially spirit. in the 20th century because
0: it it became so closely associated with therapeutic kinds right. of theology right or you know when 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 clinical psychiatric language therapeutic language was adapted and mixed in with theological <laughs> language um, grace you know um, is amazing. Yeah, grace is amazing. I'm growing in grace all every day. It's just the Lord is so gracious. Mm-hmm. Um, what What are you talking about? <laughs> like what? What you know? Whereas Paul, Saint Paul, would say that grace is just another synonym for Jesus, mm. or at least argue that, like faith, grace is a term that applies specifically to the second person of the Trinity, mm. um, because the the unconditional love of God that is shown to us, comes to us through the person of Christ. And therefore, to talk about grace and not talk about Jesus is like talking about faith and not talking about its object, which Or is talking Jesus.
1: about the sacraments. Without, without talking about, about, about Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, exactly.
0: Yeah. Um, so he says then, each in its own particularity, preaching the gospel, baptism, confession and absolution, sacrament of the altar. Hmm. Again, notice he points out that preaching the gospel is a means of grace, baptism, confession and absolution, sacrament of the altar.
1: Yeah, and preaching the gospel isn't, isn't included by Melanchthon in Augsburg. Right, right. Um, he does include confession and absolution as being um, sacrament. Right, yeah. exactly. So, only then, only then will we be able to
0: understand the fullness of God's dealing with us, which is interesting reference because in Colossians, Paul says the fullness of of god dwells in christ Mm -hmm. likewise then the fullness of christ as far as it's communicated to us in the present tense dwells with us in the sacraments Mm -hmm. because we can't go backwards in time to get the benefits of Jesus' crucifixion in the past tense so how do we get the benefits of good friday in the present tense sacraments so only then will we be able to understand the fullness of god's dealing with us the different ways by which he comes to us hmm, underline that twice, the different ways by which God comes to us. And, this is key, the whole uniqueness of every single means of grace and so come to the proper use of each. Then in parentheses, consider the order of the articles of the Augsburg Confession and the arrangement of confession between baptism and the Lord's Supper in the small catechism. Mm Hmm. Hmm. As I constantly say to my confirmants, Dr. Luther did not just throw these things down willy nilly without right. any thought whatsoever. Right. The Small Catechism may be one of the most,
1: if not the most, elegant
0: pieces of theological writing ever published.
1: Right, because uh, and and it's inherently liturgical too. Right, so we confess mm-hmm. our baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we confess our right. sins, and then we hear and leads leads us to the preaching of the God. We hear the gospel, and it's preached, and our sins are forgiven thereby. And then, of course, that leads to the sacrament, and that's the order exactly. of the Christian life is all. And we come to the end of the catechism, which is where
0: he summarizes the table of duties, our vocation, Mm -hmm. which brings us right back around to fervent love toward neighbor.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) In the Ten Commandments.
1: And then back to Because
0: like Luther starts where life begins, under the law. And he, he says, Okay, so after you've received the body and blood of Jesus, what next? Well, you're poured out into your vocations. Right. And in your vocations, you are subject to the law. Love your neighbor and love your and love God. And then we just keep going around and around and around through the catechism because that's what it does. It leads you through the Christian life. It's amazing. It is. Rinse and repeat. <laughs> exactly. So, already with baptism and the Lord's Supper, it only causes confusion if we always try to draw parallels between them and to assert that what is true of the one sacrament must be said about the other. Hmm. hmm. Which we've talked about in, in the intro. In, in kind of sketching the what's happening here so it has been argued recently in the ecumenical movement even by lutherans <laughs> since the churches recognize one another's baptism they must also have reciprocal recognition of the lord's supper or as they put it altar fellowship follows of necessity from baptismal fellowship hmm. so for example lutherans recognize roman catholic baptism Mm -hmm. as christian baptism because they baptize in the name of the father son holy spirit Mm -hmm. we don't recognize mormon baptism because even though they baptize babies in the name of the father son holy spirit they reject the trinity in their theology right and so again they give lip service to matthew 28 but they don't actually believe and confess matthew 28 as being true right likewise i don't commune with a presbyterian or allow presbyterians to communicate commune Communicate with me at my church, no, commune with me at my church because we confess a different doctrine of the Lord's Supper, right yet I recognize the Presbyterians' baptism as a valid Christian baptism because not only was it done following the rubric in matthew twenty eight but then they confess the Trinity, mm-hmm. the same as Lutherans do, and so this is the this is the danger
1: of just melting all the sacraments down into one big ball yeah and it, well, it ultimately becomes very challenging to to judge. Uh, the distinctiveness between the confessions when you kind of flatten it out like that. So, like, you know, even with baptism, it's like, well, do we recognize a Baptist baptism? Well, we do, even though Baptists don't confess the wholeness of baptism, right? Right. Like, like they deny baptismal regeneration, Mm -hmm. for example. That's not even that we confess that. They still believe that it is a baptism and that Mm -hmm. the water does save, you know, because it's connected to God's Word. Mm -hmm. So... But but if you start to hash that out, it gets to be pretty challenging with baptism. Um, And same with the supper, too, except Luther, you know, with Marburg, makes it pretty simple, right?
0: Right, at the Marburg Colloquy in 1532. Something like that. Is means is, right? Is means is. Right. We can talk about consubstantiation and transubstantiation and all that stuff, or we can just say is means is. Mm Mm-hmm which is much easier to teach your Sunday school
1: right and so that's one of the places he does <clears throat> substantially depart from Augustine right? yes very and much the, kind so. of that right. Aristotelian philosophical backbone that he that right Augustine operates with and so from the very beginning
0: then before we even get to the end of this first paragraph and we're only going to go through two uh, to just take an excerpt and not violate copyright laws <laughs> nice in, in, already by the end of this first paragraph He's he's drawn out for us as readers why it actually matters that you distinguish between the sacraments. Because in the case of altar fellowship, can I commune with someone who is a, not a Lutheran, but we have the same baptism? And the answer is no, because baptism and the Lord's Supper aren't the same. Again, they can come to your congregation on Sunday, and they don't have to commune with you. That doesn't mean they're not Christian, or right. they're not justified by, by Jesus' blood freely for the sake of his innocent and suffering and death, so forth. But it simply states, our confession of whether Jesus' body and blood are truly present under the bread and wine is a different confession than them. And therefore, this is an area, like, again, I'll baptize a Presbyterian family's baby. Sure. But not commune with them afterwards. And in the United States, because of the influence of Augustinian theology and and Calvinist theology through the Reformed Church. Which is general democratic kind of Right, right. One person, one vote kind of deal when Mm -hmm. it comes to church. This is offensive to people. Because if you're saying baptism is the same, why? How can this possibly be? You know, you're saying that the gospel you preach is the gospel, and you're saying baptism is baptism. So how can you say we can't come to the Lord's table? And like you pointed out, because we don't
1: mean the same thing when we confess, right? And they're not the same. And you're not denying them salvation by not communing right. with them, right? Right. Whereas right, if, exactly. if you refuse to to give them baptism, you know, right? <laughs> I, can den- I can deny. I can deny
0: who my parents are but that doesn't change the fact that I have a belly button Mm -hmm. same thing same thing you can deny that Jesus is present in the bread and wine but that doesn't change the fact that you're a baptized child of God you're just calling your heavenly father a liar Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm which is what children often do to their parents That's true. <laughs> growing up. That's generally a dangerous game to play with them, but yeah. Espe- especially with God, yes. That whole <laughs> climb to the top of the mountain and call him a liar, not a good plan. Not a good
1: plan. <laughs> Let's see what happens.
0: <clears throat> right. So it has been argued recently in the ecumenical movement, I covered that, that since we uh, recognize each other's baptism, we should therefore recognize each- the Lord's Supper, and therefore we can commune together. Uh, most recently, this has happened in the ELCA, 15 years ago, now 17 years ago, um, when they started making ecumenical um, agreements with the United Church of Christ, the Methodists, Presbyterians, and that the sign of our fellowship is communion, is the Lord's table. That when we kneel together, that's a sign of our unity. And whatever doctrinal differences we have will be worked out then as a consequence of us communing together. Oh. Which is cart before the horse thinking. Mm -hmm. But rather, the Lord's Supper is the goal. Of ecumenical conversation not the thing that like gives birth to it
1: yeah thinking what John 17 that
0: they may be yeah. one right, right exactly yeah
1: so as long as we as
0: long as we're seen as being united we're united and whatever problems we have will be ironed out in the future Versus, hey, let's iron out our problems and reconcile so that we can sit down at table
1: together and break bread mm-hmm. as brothers and sisters. Right, and I think that's a, that's an important statement to make to people when you're saying, you know, in regards to close communion or whatever you want to call right, it. Right. That, that the goal is not to deny you the sacrament. Right. That's not why we're making this particularity. That's not why, why it's we're. It's actually to bring you to the sacrament. Yeah, exactly. We want you to, to confess with us what the scriptures right. say.
0: Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's not the lcms confession it's not the lutheran confession it's the biblical confession and therefore as a consequence of it being biblical it's lutheran and lcms right or what, Or Wells or ELCA or whatever Lutheran confession it is that we're looking at and pointing at and going is that at the biblical confession?
1: Right, which uh, is an important note for the, those following along at home that your uh, outward ec- you know, ecumenical, your church fellowship yep. even if it calls itself Lutheran does not guarantee its faithfulness Right, exactly uh, Even if exactly. it's LCMS, I said that
0: There you <clears> go <throat> Denominations are a recent invention so again, <laughs> know your history That's right. And it gets us in trouble. It just does. Hmm. It often
1: gets us in trouble when we lack clarity uh, about these types of things. Well, it's also a way of denying, like, any kind of... um uh, what do you want to say internal authority right so you, uh, mm-hmm. i don't need right. to listen to my pastor because the lcms says blah 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 right so right like, mm, your pastor might be wrong and lcms might help you reveal that in their outward statements or whatever right or it could be the other way around uh, maybe mm-hmm. you should sit down with your pastor and study god's word together. right again as luther said
0: councils can err mm, meaning absolutely. men men are sinful and therefore men when they're sitting around talking theology or writing theology can err. They can make mistakes. They can say or do the wrong thing. It's actually something I do quite often.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) That's that's the need for constant Pastors apologize and repent. They confess their sin. That's why I've I've memorized uh, baptism in the catechism about daily contrition and repentance. I need it daily. Mm. So we continue then. Baptism and the Lord's Supper, as immeasurably great as each of these sacraments is, and as much as they cohere referencing 1 Corinthians 10, 1 and following, also the baptismal practice of the early church on Easter Eve, and even the custom of the medieval church of giving infants the Lord's Supper, at least in the form of consecrated wine right after baptism, are simply not the same.
1: Hmm.
0: Let me read that again, because there's a parenthesis in there in a biblical reference. I'm gonna So, baptism and Lord's Supper, as immeasurably great as each of these sacraments is, and as much as they cohere, they're not the same. Mm-hmm so for example he uses then the baptismal practice of the early church on Easter Eve and the custom of the medieval church of giving infants the Lord's Supper um, right after baptism right which is sadly still one of those things that that kicks around every so often in in the churches where a pastor or congregations or pastors or group will say why don't we commune babies Mm -hmm. the Eastern Orthodox do why don't we well that's because we would argue that the Eastern Orthodox are confused about the distinction of sacraments correct Yep. The uniqueness of the sacraments. And therefore, if you're lobbying for communing babies, you're also confused about the uniqueness of the sacraments.
1: Right. So they believe that without the sacrament, um, you know, you can die You can die um, uh, out of faith, right? So that's why right. immediately after baptism, they commune these infants once. So they've mm-hmm. communed, but then they don't commune exactly. again until like they're whatever, 10 or 12 or something or six. It's like uh, the story
0: I've told before about the agnostic wedding. Mm. where uh, she showed up with a heather wreath, uh, a wreath of heather around her hair. And then she had like a charm bracelet with um, a star of David and a crucifix. And she had a crucifix necklace and she had the uh, Islamic um, moon symbol. Um, and uh, just
1: cover all your bases there.
0: Yeah, and that's what, what the pastor said. You know what? What's with all the different religious imagery? And she, that's what she said. She's like, I'm an agnostic, but I. And so I'm just covering my bases, basically.
1: <clears throat> it's
0: like, well, we believe baptism saves, but just to make sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll we'll give you half the sacrament, and we're just going to do it one time until you're old enough to take it until you understand that.
1: or baptism you know <clears throat> alone isn't special enough and so yes, we have to move right. it to this holiday and do it all at once and have this whole special rite with candles and incense right. and everything just so and uh, what do you want to say fragrant oils and all that right so that Easter morning it'll be so special right? exactly exactly like, Well, wait a minute <laughs> I thought it was a washing with word.
0: And once we've come back once again to what we said earlier, which is notice how we want to make the sacrament about our doing mm. and our speaking in our our practices, our r- rituals, our traditions, and how we how easy it is for us to take God's word captive to our own desires, right? For special, like you said, novelty is the old term for it, but <laughs> you know, make it special. So you can't just baptize a baby. You got to have a baptismal gown and candles and all, you know, and the the maybe some salt, maybe some, you know, yeah. all the the seven marks and stuff like that. Which again, there's nothing wrong with that as far as signs go, as long as you understand that none of those things make the sacrament the sacrament. Those are just signs.
1: Generally, in our practice, the sign <clears throat> is, if, you know, if, if the grandparents aren't there, you know, right? If they're living, of course. If the grandparents aren't there, then it really can't be baptism either. Right. have to schedule it around when they can come. That's right.
0: Exactly. Uh. But
1: if we believed what, for example, Titus
0: teaches mm. in Titus chapter 3 about regeneration, renewal, in the Holy Spirit, we would baptize our babies as soon as they're born. Mm-hmm. Because, again, baptism is different, as Sazi points out, than the Lord's Supper. Both are equally important. Both are equally great. But we must make a distinction so that we don't collapse the two into one. And then say, well, like, again, like the example he uses, well, we have to give you communion after you're baptized, otherwise you're not really, really saved. Mm. You don't have the blood of Jesus, therefore you're not really, really forgiven. Mm. So, second paragraph now. What the sacrament of the altar is, was told to us by the Lord himself. Well, that's, you know, that's a happy mm-hmm. um, accident that Jesus would actually define himself for us. What baptism is, we learn from his apostle. We know when the Lord's Supper was instituted from the amount of the, or the account, the amount that was instituted. No. The Lord's Supper was instituted from the account of the institution. The institution of baptism, institution in italics, the institution of baptism, according to the common notion of the early church and also of Luther, to Jordan came the Christ our Lord, Mm -hmm. the hymn, took place as a result of the Lord letting himself be baptized by John. There he established a washing for us. That's
1: from Luther's hymn. Yeah. Yes, exactly.
0: And it's in the L- the Lutheran Service Book baptismal rite. Yeah, with the flood uh, prayer. Right. Controversially, so he, the prayer that was yes. rejected <laughs> during the I know Humor right. Committee. No. Yes. Luther's Again, own confession of
1: baptism was rejected by our hymnal community. Lutherans. At I know. First.
0: <laughs> that uh, by his baptism in the Jordan River, our Lord instituted all oh, waters. To be a
1: saving flood. Yeah.
0: Exactly. <laughs> and so, the institution of baptism, according to the common notion of the early church, and also of Luther, um, took place as a result of the Lord letting himself be baptized by John, and is not identical with the command to baptize. Hmm. Okay. Now, before we get confused, he's saying that the institution is not the same as the command to
1: baptize. Right. So we don't have to baptize with water from the Jordan? Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. Nor do you have to lay down on
0: your <laughs> side while communing. They're
1: reclined at
0: table. There's a the difference right. between the institution right. and the command. They reclined at table. This is one of the arguments Luther made at Marburg about, you know, we have to reenact the Last Supper. And Luther said, so we can only commune 12 people at a time? And do they have to lay, does one of them have to lay on my bosom? And do I dip the bread in the wine and say the one to to which I hand this will betray me like like how how deep down this rabbit hole of imitating the last supper do you want do we have to meet in a hotel in the upper room like, like <laughs> does the pastor have to show up on a donkey the colt of you know the full of colt like how deep do you want to go down this rabbit yeah. hole of arguing for what makes the supper the supper? It's only super special if it's in the penthouse that's right that's right so that 's what he means. The difference between the institution of baptism and the command to baptize is the difference between any water can be used for baptism versus only the Jordan River water can be right. used for baptism right. <clears throat> Baptism was performed in the apostolic age in the name of Jesus acts chapter two verse thirty eight chapter ten verse forty eight chapter nineteen verse five. The command to baptize matthew twenty eight nineteen according to Eusebius. Um, and then some fancy stuff about the apparatus in the nestle Aland and 1 Corinthians Um 1 <clears throat> According to Eusebius, dah, 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 later with the Trinitarian baptismal formula. Oh, I see. The apo- yeah. So Because yeah, you notice in Acts, they'll often baptize in the name of Christ
1: mm-hmm.
0: versus the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So again, to clarify, there's a difference between the institution and the command. And that it's not wrong to baptize in the name of Christ. Or... On the flip side, it is wrong to not baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because <laughs> Jesus commands us to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.
1: Right.
0: So, the apostles often left the administration of baptism to others. And it is no devaluation of the sacrament for Paul to say that the Lord did not send him to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Crazy. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, <laughs>
0: And now here's, here's the, the mule kick to the gut. Baptism remains with all the freedom and diversity of administration, the washing of regeneration, the full complete sacrament, needing no completion and confirmation. Uh-oh. As Anglican theology today says, not without effect on the Protestant churches. Yeah, I've been
1: to a… Uh, uh, Mic drop. Yeah, my uh, niece <laughs> was baptized in a, in a nominally, re, well, actually not even nominally reformed church, but theologically reformed church. And, um, you know, you're just listening to the language of the baptismal rite, and they do believe it's in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but they, but they put, in the way that they present it, the emphasis is put upon, yeah. not upon the child, or what God is doing for the child, but the emphasis mm-hmm. is, is upon the promise of the parents. Mm-hmm. Leading, of course, um, to later when they reach some age of understanding or accountability or whatever, uh, when they'll right. make a confession, this is what baptism is. And then that, yeah. that's what makes it valid. <laughs> exactly, it's the child's confession of faith only later in life. So I don't right. know what baptism does in the meantime. It's something covenantal, I think, is the language. I think means. it's like it's almost really like a halfway covenant. <clears throat> yeah, like it's the like there's a promise covenant. of salvation, but it's not actually realized. It's not the full, right. complete sacrament, right? As, as so
0: baptism saves you, but it doesn't fully save you until Confirmation Sunday mm. when you make your confession of faith.
1: Then, then you're saved saved. So that all those, the 50% of youths that are baptized in our churches that end up leaving before confirmation, yeah. they're not saved? Right. It mm. gets ugly. It gets mm-hmm. messy. Mm-hmm. See, that's the problem when you start doing stuff like
0: this. It gets messy real fast from a very practical standpoint. Um, it's interesting, like I said, too. It,
1: there's this freedom and diversity, right? Exactly. Where You can use a font. Yeah. You can use a pool.
0: You can sprinkle. You can immerse. You can use a river. I mean, you can use this faucet
1: at the hospital. <clears throat> but you need some water, you need the Word of God, and you need the Holy Spirit. I saw a baptism uh, when I was down in Houston that was pretty incredible. as uh, The congregation didn't have a font. It was kind of it was yeah. a very, I don't know what, what terminology you want to use. It was more of a stage auditorium kind of setup. Yeah, sure. So they, it really wasn't a place for a font in a traditional, mm-hmm. it's not a traditional building. Uh, but mm-hmm. What they did have outside is living water uh, in a in an actual fountain um, yeah sure, and it was clean water. It was clearly mm-hmm. uh like uh swimming pool water, <laughs> so they yeah. were treating it um but but every day when every time you would come to church you 'd have to walk past this this enormous font what what it effectively was and it had steps down into it and the whole deal uh, and hmm. it was outside being in Houston, you can baptize year round outside right uh, it was it was pretty slick and you know, That's some, really cool. I could see some people getting really upset with that it 's like, oh no, it 's not a pretty font in front of the church. Mm-hmm. you have to go outside you know they're going to have to wear their clothes all this kind of stuff and mm-hmm. you're like is it water and the was the word it, it was a baptism absolutely you know it was, and exactly. it was and it was cool uh cuz that was a yes. that was a young person um who had uh, been brought to church um by another you know high school age person mm-hmm. uh, had been coming for a while and then because of really the disaster there in Houston from the hurricane um mm-hmm. you know things kind of aligned for him and that sunday was there was a there was a call to be baptized, those who had not received the gift, and um, there was a confession of what that meant and what, mm-hmm. you know, what we believe. And, and he's like, what's to prevent me from being baptized? <laughs> right. Like the eunuch, you know? Well, and, uh, as I, again, as I've said in the past,
0: um, for the Reformation mm-hmm. Lutherans, baptism is confirmation. Mm-hmm. It's all bound in up the very yeah. confirmation of what confirmation of the fact that you're a child of God confirmation that you're a Christian confirmation that the Holy Spirit's at work confirmation that you've received the gospel. You're justified. So forth and so on. Um, I think our, so
1: doesn't even our right, our book even say that doesn't it even say confirmation of baptism or do I just add that? I think you add it. Uh, well, <laughs> that was a nice idea. Where did that go?
0: Again, not to say that confirmation isn't great, not to say that confirmation isn't invaluable, to the education of our youth and adults <clears throat> but again as as saze points out we must treat it with its own unique respect mm. that confirmation is not a sacrament it's not a quasi or pseudo sacrament it's just a tradition and it's a it's an invaluable tradition it's an important and great tradition but it's not baptism and it's not the lord's supper and it's not a replacement for baptism or the lord's supper and it's not a supplement to them either more importantly it's not a supplement Mm-mm. for
1: baptism no and it doesn't and it does the rite of confirmation itself doesn't actually prepare one to receive the sacrament at the altar either exactly even though that's how it's often treated right as like right. well now that i've made my confirmation now i do you know deserve i've earned a place at the table versus he is truly worthy and well prepared who believes these words given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And therefore, really what we're talking about when in, in about, you know, who is truly worthy and well prepared to come to the Lord's table, it's the one who can answer that question,
1: do you believe this is the body and blood of Jesus Christ? Right. Or don't you? So that's right, kids. We've uh, denied confirmation as a sacrament, and we've suggested that actually your approach to the sacrament of the altar is based on God's word <laughs> and not on this human right. Ta-da! Okay. Again, making distinctions is okay. mm
0: Making distinctions does not thereby say, well, this is less or more important than this. It's not a hierarchy. We're not saying, you know, baptism's the the top and then, you know, lower down the food chain is the, like, confession absolution. And then, you know, confirmation is the redheaded stepchild
1: that we keep out, you know, keep under the stairs. Right. Yeah. And that gets us back to the, again, what Sauce had said in the previous paragraph um, about how, what did he say? Only then will we be able to understand the fullness of God's dealing with us, the different ways by which he comes to us, the whole uniqueness of every single means of grace and so come to proper use.
0: And and I've used this example before that I don't say I love being married. I say I love Annie, Mm -hmm. my wife. There's a huge distinction between my wife and Annie Riley. (laughs) Big, big difference, especially Mm -hmm. when it comes to obeying and keeping the uh, sixth commandment. Mm -hmm. Because you can love marriage and shack up with any woman, if you're a man, and any man if you're a woman. But to say that I'm married to Annie Riley, that I love Annie Riley, is a very distinct th- statement, obviously. It's a very unique statement. Because it's... it's saying out of the billions of women in the world, there's just one woman that I'm married to, and her name is Annie Riley. And therefore, when someone says, do you like being married? I say, I love I love Annie,
1: and therefore, I love being married. Not the yeah. other way around. I mean, it's a matter, as a sinner... you probably don't like the right of the, the commitment, the vow of marriage. <laughs> right, exactly, 100%. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> binding and restrictive. Right,
0: the, it chafes, it chafes. <laughs> um, but that's the point then is that what Sase is after is when we lose the distinction uh, between the sacraments and, and especially around the, the traditions that have been built up around the sacraments, when we lose the distinction, we lose the uniqueness. Mm-hmm. And then when we lose the uniqueness, that's when we just melt them down like a big, you know, like different, a whole bunch of candles mm-hmm. that we light on fire. And then they just kind of, you know, boil down to this little ball of deformed wax <clears throat> that in and of themselves, they are great, important, unique, specific to the Christian faith. But when they're thrown all together in a blender that's when we get in trouble
1: yeah. because
0: then baptism and the Lord's Supper are indistinguishable, but then also confirmation, which isn't even a sacrament becomes indistinguishable from a sacrament because we just melted that down with them very uncritically. And this is where repentance is always called for in relation to uh, our doctrine um, to be able to step back and, and say, Hmm, where exactly is confirmation, you know, a biblically established sacrament. Yeah. It's not. So then, why do we do we treat it like a? Are we treating it like a sacrament? Do we, or is that in my mind? Like, what are we doing here? Why are we treating it this way? Why do we talk about it this way? Um, Is it is it an obstacle to the gospel for (laughs) for our children and for adults who want to join the congregation? Um, Is it a bridge? You know what is it? What is it for?
1: Right. We well we treat it like a sac. <clears throat> we add things to it to, to make it yeah a sacrament special in, at least in terms of like an Augustinian def- definition, right? Yes. Like there's exactly. a means that we're going to attach so. Uh, some right. places they wear like robes and like the parents make stoles, i think yes right? that's right robes and red stools Ro- robes and red stoles. or you have to you have to i had to give some kind of speech what what does yes. something mean For your faith to me? statement yeah yep. some faith statement and we have all yep. these things that we accomplish. then that makes confirmation um valid or efficacious or whatever exactly it's right like, well we there's no word of god there's no promise attached to confirmation right Um, Exactly. And And that's that's the danger of
0: Augustine's thinking for us. That's the danger of Augustine's teaching when it's accepted uncritically, Mm -hmm. is we forgot that Confirmation started at 8 for the Reformation Lutherans. We forget that First Communion was completely separate from Confirmation Sunday historically. We forget that baptism was defined as Confirmation originally by the Reformation. Like, all of those things got lost in history because Mm -hmm. people wanted to add to or take away from what Sazi points out, baptism remains, with all of the freedom and diversity of administration, it still remains the washing of regeneration and renewal in the Holy Spirit, the full complete sacrament, it doesn't need completion in confirmation. Yep. So, But as you, as you note, know, this is 1956. Yeah. So this is a generational problem. This is a generational conflict. Yeah, you're talking not about what, four or five something. generations, and it predates
1: yeah. that. I mean, when confirmation was reintroduced um, in our churches during rationalism, right? Well, actually, mm-hmm. the pietists, too. They both did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Both the pietists and the same generation, though. Just yeah, different same generation. They went different directions with it, but they both were. Way, they had a way of importing into this non-defined sacrament, you know, whatever meaning they wanted yeah. it to be. Right. Whether it was like a, a pious act of faith, or it yeah. was a rational, um, just uh, you know, step or hoop that you jump through. That's yeah, a rite of passage or something like that.
0: Yeah, it's again, it's like pietism was predator and rationalism was alien mm-hmm. it's like they both they're both the same genre but <laughs> the completely different takes <laughs> but in the end they came together and made a movie with both of them in it called alien versus predator there you go which is exactly what happened to pietism and rationalism when it immigrated to america mm. <laughs> it became the lutheran church in america let's make a movie together <laughs> yeah it's a terrible movie oh. <laughs> um, but yet I watched it because again absurd. So I, I'm gonna I'll, I'll draw everything to a conclusion. Again, I encourage you to read this the whole essay. I, I try and read it at least once or twice a year just because again it's so dense, but it's so good. It's so important, especially for me as a pastor, in teaching Sunday school, in teaching confirmation, in teaching adult Bible study, in my preaching, in my pastoral care. This is super important to be able to understand the uniqueness of the sacraments and what exactly the Bible teaches that they do mm-hmm. and why they do it and why we do it the way that we do it, but also without not, not losing the freedom and diversity of administration. Or the particularity of each sacrament. Right, yeah. right. And not, not hearing the word freedom and diversity of administration and freaking out because it sounds like he's saying, well, we can just do it any way we want. He's not. He's not. What he's saying is, whether it's in a river or whether it's at a baptismal font, so long as it's the Spirit and the Word of God in the water, it's the washing of regeneration, it's a real baptism, and it's a complete, full sacrament. And it doesn't need anything added to it before, during, or after. It is what it is. So at the beginning of section 5, I just want to read this one sentence because it's so good. Mm. And it really sums up this, this section 4. Where baptism is rightly taught, there the gospel is rightly proclaimed. The whole gospel is contained in this sacrament Christ's death and resurrection, our dying and rising with him in repentance and faith, the bestowal already now of future heavenly treasures, eternal righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. Hmm. And then he says the same applies to the sacrament of the altar, and then he goes off defining that. Let me read that again. Where baptism is rightly taught, the gospel is rightly proclaimed. So no matter how good of a preacher your pastor is, if he does not teach baptism correctly, out of our confessions, then he's not preaching the gospel correctly. And vice versa, because the whole gospel is contained in baptism. Mm -hmm. Christ's death and resurrection is contained in baptism, our dying and rising with him, and repentance and faith is contained in baptism. The bestowal in the present tense of future heavenly treasures, eternal righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, which is taken straight out of the second... Um, article, of the Apostles' Creed, and the Catechism it's the last sentence mm-hmm. that we may live in live under Him in His kingdom in righteousness, innocence, and in blessedness. Or R I B rib for those memorizing that. <laughs> um, but that's the whole of it. That where baptism is, the gospel is, and where gospel is, that's all of Jesus' death and resurrection. So why would you need to add anything to baptism if the bapti- if baptism itself is the whole of the gospel? Mm-hmm. It's the whole of Christ's death and resurrection for you. It's the whole of repentance and faith. It's the whole of eternal righteousness, innocence, and blessedness.
1: You receive the whole Jesus there. there.
0: Right. All. Exactly.
1: That's why baptism is so important for Lutherans. And, And of course, then the sacrament of the altar is the whole Jesus too. The whole gospel. (laughs) But uniquely distinct
0: from baptism. (laughs) Nice. And yet, the gospel. (laughs) Yet the gospel. It's so good. It's just so good. (laughs) And so, as Sazi as points out, any struggle over the proper teaching of the sacrament is a, actually a struggle for the gospel.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so, if you've ever wondered why Lutherans, you know, especially your old crusty pastor like me, gets so worked up about baptism hmm. and always talking about it, always teaching it, always preaching it, gets, you know, when, when people say to me, especially Lutherans say we make too much of, a, of, of baptism or we make a big deal out of baptism and we emphasize it too much, um, A hundred percent, you're going to hear me speaking from wherever I'm at in the room, because I will hear that statement.
1: Yeah,
0: Um, Especially for me as an adult convert who was baptized as an adult. Mm. More Um, special that way. It is more special. Because I recognize that had I overdosed on drugs at 21 Mm. and not been baptized, I know exactly where I would be, and it's not a happy place. (laughs) And so not only is baptism that, for me personally, in my own piety – that important because I recognize that, but also in the present tense, that's why I'm a Lutheran. Yeah, you know the sacraments really are what make me a Lutheran mm-hmm. in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, I can compromise on a lot of things for the sake of love, <laughs> but when it comes to baptism and Lord's Supper, confession, absolution, the preaching of the gospel, uh, uh-uh, not happening. No, you know as I said, I, I said to a friend of ours, Pastor George Borgart, um, I really wish I could preach
1: a less forceful gospel or a less urgent gospel, I just can't. No,
0: <laughs> I just can't. For two because reasons, compromise... right?
1: Because one, that's what Christ has instituted for his church. And, exactly. And then two, he's given you the command to do it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Again, I'd like to punch out and go home early, right? but Jesus says my shift lasts into eternity and I'm a gospel preacher. That's what I do. It's enough for the unity of the church that the gospel be preached in its truth and purity and the sacraments rightly administered. Mm-hmm. That... To compromise on the gospel would be to compromise on baptism. Mm-hmm. But likewise, to compromise on baptism would be to compromise on the gospel. Right. And so if you are talking with a friend or, or family member or something who says, I don't understand why you Lutherans make such a big deal out of baptism, just answer simply, because the gospel is a big deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's, the for, it's forgiveness, life, and eternal salvation. So of course we make a big deal out of it. Yeah. It's the whole of Jesus. hmm like saying baptism is not important or that we make too much of a big deal of, about baptism is the same as saying that you make too much of a big deal about Jesus. Right, exactly. Which is patently absurd and, and just stupid in general. It's just a really stupid thing to say.
1: Well, unless, unless you've been to one of those churches and uh, the preaching of Christ is devoid uh, right. in their practice, well, of course then. You, you wouldn't right. expect them to speak of baptism either. Exactly. Exactly. That's mm-hmm. a great point. As, as we've talked about in the past,
0: when you walk into a church, try and find the baptismal font. Mm-hmm. Locate, locate the font, or like you said, which is that church in Houston, which I think is actually exemplary without having seen it, that every day or every time I walk into the church, the first thing that I see is the waters in which I was baptized. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I'm constantly being reminded of my relationship to God. Right. Walking into the church, I, like, it's already established for me right there there it is there's the waters in which i was baptized Mm -hmm. therefore going into the house of the lord i know exactly not only why i'm going in but my whole purpose for going in Mm -hmm. i need the law yes because i need to be convicted of my sin i need to be killed and more importantly then i need the gospel because i need to be raised to new life and that begins and ends with baptism (laughs) jesus (laughs) that's the Alpha jesus (laughs) alpha and omega stuff exactly yeah good stuff yeah, it's fantastic. So check that out and uh, as always, as I as always, as I said on the first episode, this is episode number 2. But as always, um for our listeners, if you can actually uh send us an email or text at us all of the references that that we made in this episode, oh, yeah. all the meta narrative, all the meta references, I will buy you a pound of coffee. Um because Pastor Gillespie and I are um what kind of what kind of brain what do you um, if you ever see a picture of Nikolai Tesla sitting in a chair <laughs> next to a giant steel cage that's emitting electricity yeah. that's essentially my brain <laughs>
1: like
0: that's that's really what my brain looks like and Nikolai Tesla is sitting in a chair in my brain it's just an explosion of electrons and synapses and <laughs> neurons firing and pathways sounds and dangerous it uh, does <laughs> not safe yeah not say so but curious, so yeah yeah <laughs> curious, and uh it's it's always better to ingest that in small doses, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you don't get in too deep yeah. and uh but uh yeah so shout out to uh our listeners and i hope that you do that and take me up on my offer uh shout out to quest protein drinks i'm drinking my my protein shake this morning while we do this um i have a protein shake every morning with my fats and my uh creatine powder and everything stay healthy folks Mm -hmm. god gave you a body it's a gift take care of it um and if you would like to support higher things you like what we do um both with podcasts, the video stuff, our articles, conferences, you can contact Erica Jacoby or George Borgart who are in charge of our development. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can make a donation or support us further uh, th- with resources, you know, your efforts and stuff like that, or, or whatever it may be, but talk to development, talk to Erica Jacoby and George Borgart. And um, come back next time where we will uh, pick up another Lutheran church father. I'm guessing it's going to be Dr. Norman Nagel. And since we were talking about the sacraments or baptism in particular in this episode, I think next episode, Dr. Nagel wrote an essay entitled, what was it? The Holy Spirit and the Gifts in Corinth, Mm. which is about spiritual gifts in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And he talks, Dr. Nagel talks about the Holy Spirit and the gifts and salvific gifts versus vocational gifts and how we differentiate between those things. And so, and Dr. Nagel was a student of Herman Sase. He translated a lot of Herman Sase's works for us. So, thank you, Dr. Nagel, for that. Um, and he's pretty much my favorite living theologian. He is my favorite living theologian, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and one of my favorite Lutherans ever. One of my favorite Christians ever. Um, he's a wonderful man. You can YouTube Dr. Norman Nagel. There's a couple videos of Dr. Nagel up uh, on YouTube. And he's, you know issues, et cetera. I think issues, et cetera, on their website, they have a whole bunch of mm-hmm. interviews with Dr. Nagel. You can Google Dr. Nagel issues, etc. cetera. Um, his Easter stuff is phenomenal. Why Go to Church is a great uh, interview. Um, you can order Dr. Nagel's uh, chapel sermons from Logia. I think it is Logia. Yeah, they have the CD. On DVD. Yeah, they have the CD. That's it. So you can order Dr. Nagel's sermons. No, I think they have it as MP3 from downloads from now too. Yeah, they do. Yep. Because yep. I've got both and I think I've, I bought them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got. It. Of course, I did. I didn't I would never pirate. That's unethical, and immoral, and illegal. Especially, I Dr. bought Nagle. them legally. Especially, especially Doctor Nagel, <laughs> um, and it goes to a good cause. I love Logia. Uh, shout out to uh, Pastor Aaron Moldenauer, our friend, mm-hmm. and Compadre, who uh, is one of the editors, if not the senior editor there, in charge of everything, and. Um, yeah, come back next week, and we will uh, sit down with Doctor Nagel and have some fun with him. So I hope you enjoy the podcast. Uh, our Lord Jesus Christ bless and keep you in His baptismal grace today and forever. Amen. And we all say Amen. And see you. Yeah. Sorry, I got it. I hope there. we pass the audition.
1: Uh-huh. There we go
0: things thanks you for your support please continue to support the work we do with youth by going to our website at higherthings.org, clicking on the support donating securely through paypal your gift helps us in our mission support pastors youth workers and parents daring our church's youth to be Lutheran higherthingsorg slash
1: support give today